1: This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort
2: Today on the show, we welcome Allison Goh, who is a product manager at Facebook and formerly at Amazon, working on Audible. She shares some of her favorite product stories, which are must listens. And we talk about her team at Facebook, what skills it's comprised of, how they push product forward while while continually pushing their team for new and innovative ideas. It's an excellent talk today. So stay tuned. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. In season four of Rocketship, we are diving into everything product and growth. Rocketship FM
0: is produced in partnership with Product Collective.
2: We're your hosts, Michael Saka
0: and
1: Mike Belsito.
3: So um, I'm Allison Goh, and I'm a product manager at Facebook. Previously, I was a product manager at Rent the Runway, so I ran the unlimited subscription business. Okay. And before that, I was a mobile product manager at Audible, which is a part of Amazon. So that was a really interesting time where I worked on getting Audible into the Kindle app. So really a huge, interesting product. Um, before that, I was actually at a tiny, tiny startup uh, called Open Air Publishing. And first employee, uh, literally working out of an apartment uh, in New York where we, you know, like just Turned out digital books. It was really really interesting. Yeah. Um, before that, I have an MBA from Wharton, okay. and I was a journalist actually as my really? first career. Yeah, yeah. So, So um, very interesting transition. More in common than you would think. I probably write more as a product manager than I did as a writer. Yeah. Um, which is which is like very. It's great that I can still use those skill sets that I got when I, I was a journalist. If, if,
2: if before we get into the rest, uh, Ty, who we just interviewed, is also at Facebook. Also has a journalistic background. Um, I'm, I'm curious uh, what because the, there's the interview skills, there's the analytical skills, and then there's the writing skills as a product manager. Um, do you feel that was a, a very a natural transition into a product management role, or kind of what was that like for you going from the journalism world to the tech or product world?
3: Yeah, I think um, the, they're very, very much related. Journalism—you see some of the best product managers, I think, come from journalism because mm. you have that communication background. Um, written and um, verbal communication is so so critical. Yeah. Um, and I also think the other the other part that. Comes into play is this this ability to dive really deep and ask questions. It's very natural to ask questions um, as a journalist. Obviously, that's yeah. like what you do all day. Um, but when you're a product manager, you're also asking questions. Now you're not interviewing people for a story, but you're asking like, why is it? Why does it work like this? Um, why are we doing it like this? Um, preferably you're doing it in a way that people are like it's friendly and um, you know like people want to tell you the answers but if you can't ask those questions and you can't dig and do those follow-ups um, it's very difficult to do your job yeah. because you won't you don't really have the baseline information to make decisions right yeah. um, so i think that that is almost as important as just the raw ability to communicate clearly your ideas and what's going on yeah. so it's both parts
2: yeah. very nice yeah no it's interesting and it, a connection Really, just kind of seeing—it's—it's—it's it's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. Um, so l- let's talk a bit about the the role of a, a product manager. What um, what is something that people may get wrong or generally get wrong about it? Yeah.
3: Um, I think there are, there are two parts of um, what people get wrong about product management. So the first thing is um, the folks who come in and they want to be the next Steve Jobs. Um, it's like, and they come in, they have this like bold, bold vision, and then everyone just does what they they tell them they're being told to do. Okay. Um, that's just like not how that works in almost any company. Um, it only works if you're like actually Steve Jobs. Um, and me, there's a couple other folks who are founders of really visionary type companies. But if you are a PM um, basically anywhere else, that's incredibly untrue. Yeah. Um, I think the phrase that best sums up product management is this phrase like influence without authority. So no one reports to you. No one has to do anything you want them to do. Um, You have to convince them to do it. Interesting. Um, And sometimes it's a big, bold, like, you know, like, you're you're like, this is what we're going to do, and, like, you're going to follow me. Um, But a lot of other times it's, like, listening and having a lot of empathy, and it's, taking their inputs and incorporating it into the product is actually, one, they're, like, valid inputs. Yeah. Um, but two, it, it gets everyone bought in to the thing you ultimately build. Um, so I think when people come in and they just, like, have a, an idea, but you ask them, like, how do you work well, well with others? Yeah. Um, and they're just like, what are you talking about? You're like, mm, okay, that's not really what the job is, <laughs> right? right? Um, the other thing I see, you know, I'm, I'm part of a lot of communities, product communities, and there's just, like, a lot of questions about tools and agile and like, how do you set up this process perfectly? Um, and I think that that is a red herring often. Okay. I think process should serve the people that are on your team and the particular product and your certain goals um, and also the company itself, right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's a, this, sometimes this focus on what's the right tools, like should I use uh, this brand or that brand? And I think it misses the point. Yeah. Uh, and it's not what product management is. Those are just. In, it's like, should I use Gmail or, I don't know, what Hotmail? Hotmail, yeah, <laughs> hot right? Um, that's like it's irrelevant, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think that that is a distraction most of the time. Um, yeah. It's really should be about figuring out what your product vision is, and then who do you need on your team to accomplish it. And then the last part, right, is. Um, making sure the process is set up to enable that, mm. but an example of a place where your your cadence would be totally different and your tools would be different it 's like you can 't really learn from other companies necessarily is you know a Facebook we move very fast we you know have many people using the product so you can make data driven decisions very quickly yeah. um, whereas something like a retail retail product that has a new product line once every four months is like working on a completely different cadence and the tool that those, those tools are just going to be different like agile is not going to work necessarily because the company is working on a four-month cadence not a two-week cadence right? right so to be obsessed with the process means you're not adapting to the actual product at hand yeah so i think if you get down that road too far um that could be a huge problem
2: how do you communicate um you know, when you're getting these different inputs, especially from teammates, right, who, who have a passionate idea, but you're kind of the gatekeeper, right, to getting it done. How do you communicate back to them the solution or um, or the fact that you are including their idea in some part into the work?
3: Yeah. So I think the most important thing is, I mean, the way I start every conversation is with the assumption that. Let me back up. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of this, uh, the, the, the differences in opinion often come from differences in the, the baseline of knowledge. Okay. Right. So um, I, as a product manager, have a view of one set of things, maybe everything. That's maybe the core job of a product manager, um, whereas any other function may have a portion of it. Um, and so their opinion is very much informed by the portion that they have. Um, and so I, you know, if you do the, 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 thought exercise of assume the best intentions, like often it's because there's like a, a gap in knowledge, not because that person doesn't know what they're doing, but because like they inherently don't have the visibility in this other side of the business or the other side of yeah. the workflow. So I think that's where I, that's my assumption usually. Right. Um, and then I try to dig into that and, and, and kind of figure out where that gap is. Like, where do you, why do you think this is important? Um, what's driving that, that, um, that opinion? Yeah. And then if you can find that, that, that gap, you can then talk about the gap and not about the solution that is being asked for or like proffered, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, once again, it's like coming back to the digging in. Um, and then once you get there and you say, well, now that you know this new piece of information that I had, um, do you still think the same thing? No. Sometimes a person might, and so uh, I don't know if I have a solution for that. But usually, like you come to a point where like. We just have a different point of view of like what we're optimizing for okay. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like such a key question. Um, what are you optimizing for? And if you can apply that to almost every situation where it seems like you're off with a person, it's yeah. usually because you have a different optimization or you have a different set of information.
2: Yeah, and, and that was uh, assuming the best intention. Always, right?
3: yeah. And, yeah, I like it, that
2: a
1: lot. I think
3: like that's a phrase that's used a lot and it sounds very kumbaya and like very like oh like let's all get along but to me it's actually like a completely mechanical thing that's like super useful in which you um if you if you assume the best intentions it means something else is why you're in conflict and sometimes it's still it's sometimes it's a different goal but it's sometimes it's bad communication skills and that's like also painful but it doesn't mean that this person is out to get you or like right. is sabotaging you or just is like a terrible person it just means like you either have different goals or you have different communication styles yeah um, and sometimes it's you who has the bad communication <laughs> style it's like totally possible right so um like you should and and, and so when you use um the phrase assume the best intentions, it means it gives you a guidebook of like, what do you, how do you work through what seems like a conflict? Um, it's so rare. Like it doesn't have to be, I think most conflicts can be either avoided or like approached in a non-personal way. And you still might not agree because like your goals are just in conflict and that's, that's okay. Right. And then, and then there's a, but there's a different way to solve that problem than just being like, this guy sucks. Right. Um, which I think a lot of that that often happens in the office and it's
2: it's all we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors now back to the show so let's talk a bit about um the what's been the the hardest problem that you've been tasked with as a, a product manager, the toughest problem for you to solve and how did you approach it
3: yeah, absolutely. So um, I think I mentioned earlier that I worked on a product in which we merged, or not not necessarily merged, but we brought the functionality of audiobooks into the Kindle app, yeah. right? Um, and that was a very difficult product because it was just big and involved yeah. a lot of people and a lot of people with conflicting goals.
2: How many
1: people are we talking?
3: So at the end of the day, um, if you include all the engineers, I was probably dealing with like 50 people. Wow. Um, at the same time, and so it was. It was really interesting, but it, you know, at the end of the day, we have a mutual interest. We're all part of the same company, and we have a mutual interest in building the best products out there, right? And but at the same time, Audible we care about audiobooks, and Kindle cares about Kindle to some degree, and, and there's like a large overlap of um, adjacencies and things that we both want Uh, but there's like a sliver of things that we're like we you know like we have a different revenue number and they're not necessarily related or you know this is very common in big companies right um and also like to some degree like the product philosophy can be very different um, when you're even in within the same company yeah um so it was a, a really really long challenge of digging into the differences and trying to um, bridge the gap between like how how can I tell the story of what we 're trying to do um, with the story that the Kindle folks are trying to do okay. um, and I think that it was it was challenging because. The over the, actually the overlap was much smaller, and so you really had to like narrow in on that part <laughs> right. um, to then to then be able to move forward. Okay. Um, and it was super immersive. It wasn't just like okay, like this is going to work. We had to like pixel by pixel decide, make decisions together. Um, me and like the other product manager working on that who yeah. who was like you know we're concerned about the fidelity of the Kindle app, because, you know, they have goals to make sure the whole thing is cohesive, um, it makes sense, and, you know, ours is like, let's get in there. Yeah. Um, Were you
2: bringing the Audible branding in, or or um, more the audio experience?
3: The Audible, the audio experience, the audiobooks, yeah. So the way the product works, it's called WhisperSync for Voice, and if you, if you have, if you own both the Kindle book and the audiobook, you can, like, listen and read oh, at the same time or switch. And so you can be sitting on your couch and read the book and then you like get up and you go for a run and you can listen to the book and That's it'll cool. pick off where it le- left off, right? And yeah. so the ultimate of this was to have it all in one place um, with the full functionality of both experiences. Yeah. Um, but once again, it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's a complex product already, Kindle, right? Um, and you add like this whole other media type in there. Right. And how do you do it without disrupting the Kindle experience, but also giving you the fully-fledged fully Audible experience? Okay. Um, while like, you know, VPs and... Like everyone, and everyone cares at the same time. So you had, there were just so many stakeholders involved. So you actually have to build a product while also managing a lot of stakeholders.
2: Did you build a story around it? Um, Like that story of someone reading and then going out running? Was that how you you started to get people on the same page? Yeah, yeah. And
3: I think um, everyone understood, well, what's interesting was everyone was on board with it at a high level. It was the devil was in the details, right? We, as Audible, we, we actually do want to maintain our brand identity to some degree but that actually doesn't work in a in a Kindle app that um, has its own kind of brand identity. Yeah. Um, so we had to figure out how to merge those two things together. Um, cause at the end of the day, like they, they're, they're two different parts of the company. Um, so, but like at the very high level, everyone was in agreement that okay. this would be a great okay. experience. So that part, at least I didn't have to do that part too. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but so that was a given, but then it was just like, but you, you had just enough of the goals being different that you had to really figure out the details, like should the button be here or here? Because if it was up here, that's like maybe breaking a paradigm that was already uh, in the app, that kind of thing. And okay. it seems so detailed and um, so almost trivial, mm-hmm. but you know, when you are working on something that millions and billions of people are using, like those details matter.
2: Yeah. Did yeah. you do? Um, what was the process like to get to the final released version? Did you do testing with with users? Did you do testing internally? Would that um, look like? Both. If you can share,
3: both. Yeah. Um, you know, the wonderful part about working at a big company is you have lots of free data testers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have some power users inside the company, which is awesome. And so there's a lot of internal testing. Okay. Um, less external testing. Um, it's just something that you don't really get to do. Okay. Um, and at the time, like this was like before, the uh, ability to do a lot of testing on app and like beta testing, it actually wasn't available yet. Oh, like okay. Apple didn't even have oh, it yet. It was like flight, before right. that. Yeah. yeah. So um, like not the, not the easiest thing to do, right? Okay. Um, and I think when you work at a big company, it's like, you're hesitant to put it out there without some with guardrails. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we did a lot of a lot more internal testing. Um, we did have usability testing, so you can bring an outsider and look at it in a very controlled environment. But it's like not the same, right? You yeah. need this is the kind of product where it's much better. Anything mobile is like you you would rather have this person out in the wild doing right. reading and listening. <laughs> yeah. um, so so there was a leap of faith there because like in the state in the early stages of mobile, you almost had to make several leaps of faith to get yeah. things out the door. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so what was the end result? Were were you like, when when you released it, um, what was the result like, you know, what was the reception like, but also how did you feel, um, when it finally got out there?
3: Like triumphant. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, uh, no, it was, it was great. And then it was very well received. It was actually, um, like one of the, we, we actually released the iOS and Android like out together and like had a big, we had a big. You know, party about it, and like, uh, you know, it's like really the next step for that product. Okay. Um, and it was the reception was great. I think one of the quotes that I use is like, so genius it hurts my head. <laughs> That sounds great. That's, that's a compliment. Um, I know. I'm, I'm glad I hurt your head. Um, so I, I mean, it was it was a, it was a big deal, and yeah. I and to this day, it's still a, an incredibly useful feature. Um, what I love about it's funny because it, you know it's actually a while ago when I worked on this, but um, that product is really interesting because it's it's actually it's a wonderful educational opportunity. A lot of people who benefit from it are people who are learning English you know um, have like maybe a learning disability and like being able to listen and read at the same time is incredibly useful and so being able to give that to people was like really rewarding and so when you get it onto such a big platform like the Kindle app um, that that you get the, you get to hear the feedback like that's oh incredible. this is so great like it's really changed um, how I'm learning English and, and like that that is very fulfilling that's yeah. one of the wonderful parts about working at on a product like Kindle and audible is like these products really matter to people yeah. um, and and they're like so important to their day-to-day life
2: it's incredible yeah 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 and and yet yeah, you you can design it for the reader who wants to go on a run mm-hmm. or someone who needs to learn a second or wants to learn a second yeah. language it's it's in it that's great um so let's talk a bit about data and y- your gut um where do you fall in this and what do you tend to rely on now you're at facebook you and also audible i mean massive amounts of data available mm-hmm. but where do you still lie in your decision making
3: yeah i think that you need both yeah um and i've i've the the worst is to not have any data and completely work in a vacuum. I, I, honestly, like I I'm, I'm I don't have the guts, to go and like just build a thing because like that was my feelings for the day. Like right. I like the, like those people like that's great. Um, but I really, really like data, um, okay. so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of it, but I think it has, it's it's limited, right? At the end yeah. of the day, you can have all this data and know what people are doing, but you still need to understand why they're doing it in that way. That's and you'll right. never be able to completely understand that without talking to humans, okay. right? So it's the combination of the human voice and what they're doing. And sometimes the human voice doesn't match what the data actually says. Like okay. you go talk to hundred people and they say, this is what I want to do, and then the data says they don't do that that, and then it's like, oh, that's interesting. Humans are flawed. Right. Um, or, like, they don't know themselves, even, which is fine. Um, but, like, they, they are... They, they should be working in tandem. Like, I think... At Facebook, I'm, it, we're very blessed to have a lot of people supporting the product org in any given product, yeah. and we have user researchers and data scientists, and the best thing about it is when they work together and feed each other information, right? So a data scientist can see a weird behavior that it seems anomalous and, and like interesting, yeah. and then the researcher goes and figures out what that is. Right. Right? You, can't, right. you can't do it with just data, or else like, you're just gonna be making wild assumptions, and people use your product in ways that you almost certainly can't expect. Yeah. Um, and same in the other direction, when you see a behavior that is very consistent in research or you're out in the wild observing it, then you go look at the data. Is like, is this actually true? Because when you have a lot of data, you, sometimes the trends don't actually come up, right? Like you can't yeah. always mine them um, in a way that is usable. There's sometimes so much data. So the two in combination is super powerful. Yeah. And I think. For instance, Facebook does a really good job of understanding that and institutionalizing it in the product development process. Um, And you don't see that in that many places. Um, And so like it's it's really great to be working at a place that really values that. And I value both. Like, I think people tend to overvalue data or value it to the exclusion of user research. Where you're
2: just optimizing um, colors.
3: Yeah, and which I think is also valuable, by the way. Like, sure. I think that's, like, an important thing to do at a certain stage of the product. Okay. Right? Um, so if you're in a growthy stage, user research is actually still important in growth, but, mm-hmm. like, you can get away with just, like, trying... Bunch of stuff and like being like, see what works. Yeah. Um, but when you're in early stages of product, that like doesn't it doesn't fly. Um, a phrase that we use um, at at Facebook um, every once in a while is like this idea of a local maximum. Okay. Um, so basically, it's this idea. It's easier to visualize um, than to explain over um, but talking about it. But mm-hmm. it's this idea that there might be. Um, you might be at the best the product can be in the, in the way it is now and every improvement, incremental improvement you do actually makes it worse or makes your, your metric worse, whatever okay. you chose to be your metric. Yeah. But there's some other maximum, another peak that's like off in the distance that requires you to go down before you can go up. Right? Uh-huh. So you So you're on the local maximum and that's Maybe there's another maximum that's better but requires you to take a big leap of faith. So if you're super, super data-focused and you are going towards something that is bigger but, like, your first little step is an, a negative yep. move, then you're like, oh, we can't go in that direction, right? And that is, like, um, that's where data can lead you astray. Okay. Um, and so there's the, There's also something to be said about having a vision and having, like, you know, like this isn't um, – this isn't the world, the only part of the world that we can we can live in. And so I imagine, you know, I wasn't at Facebook when we made the shift to mobile, um, or, like, there are many shifts that right. Facebook. And, and, you know, successful companies make these big strategic shifts, but they almost certainly are negative in the short term.
2: Okay. But you wow. have to do
3: them to survive in the long term. So and if you get... It sounds like they
2: encourage yeah, the, the yeah. exploration. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you know... I mean, is there ever a way to know, like... Are you walking off a cliff or are you just, no, just, you just do it, right?
3: Nope. Um, I mean, I think that's where your partners and you, your user researchers and all those folks yeah. like, come into play because when you, if, you, if you feel like you have a true understanding of what the end user is trying to do, they feel, those leaps feel less crazy. Okay. Right? Okay. If you can, or sometimes it's a matter of, are you leaping too early? Because like mobile, everyone could see mobile what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but is it going to happen in two years or six months? I mean, right. this would have been like years ago when yeah. you were having yeah, this yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, and that, it can be scary if you're maybe too early too, right? right. Even if you know it to be true yeah. um, in the sometime in the future. So that, it's hard. Like you sometimes have to, like, as we say at Facebook, you have to be bold. Um, I like that. Yeah, though. but yeah. maybe like, but there's a fine line between like being bold and being crazy. I right. <laughs>
2: <I'm sorry>. Sure. <laughs> um, let's talk a bit about um, a product mistake. What, what, what has been, you know, a, a product mistake that you made, you were sure was going to work and, and it didn't?
3: Yeah, so I'll talk about um, the Audible days okay. again. Um, so I was in charge of the iOS app. And so this was around the time um, when the, when Apple had their new fonts and they had a new look and feel. So we wanted to um, be modern, right? Yeah. We wanted to update the app so it matched that um, look and feel. Part of the thinking was like, you know, if you have an old crusty looking app, um, people won't wanna use it, like right. we won't trust it even. And actually like, you know, what's really interesting is if you want to recruit people to work on your product, like engineers, like they don't they're gonna look at this thing. It has like all the drop shadows or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are yeah. like, what is this thing? Like I don't want to work on this. So there's a little bit of that. And so we, we went through this exercise of modernizing the app, right? Or modernizing the look and feel. We didn't really change that much of it, like the functionality. Um, and the biggest one that was like totally avoidable. I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. lot of mistakes. Everyone
2: does that. Yeah. Um,
3: but one that was like um, I look back at it all the time and I'm just like, "Oh, what was I thinking?" Was we we took the the app was like white and had like like a gray kind of gradient to it, which was like super like pre iOS 7 or whatever um, version um, this this change happened on. Um, But it was, like, white and gray. So what we we did was, like, okay, we're going to do, like, a white background and no more gradients, and it's going to be, like, white and, like, very clean-looking, very modern. Um, We launched it, and this is also um, when, you know, Apple doesn't allow you to do um you you couldn't do phased releases you had to just 100 percent. you go out
2: and another seven days right um, and yeah so... and so,
3: so so you just like can't even test it like you can't <laughs> even put it out into like a couple people you just have to like go out and so we we made it and it's like we were like that's so beautiful people are gonna love it and turns out when you have, like, a white app, that's, like, really, really, really awful at night, right? <laughs> right? And turns out people use Audible at night a lot, you know? And not only that, they, you know, use it before they go to bed. Um, but the thing that, I, that really killed me was um, one, one part of our, uh, like, customer base or audience are, like, people who, like, long-haul truckers, okay. um, which makes sense. Yep. A lot of long-haul truckers in yeah. Texas. Um, yeah. And they end up driving through the night, and they have their Audible app, and then it's like a beacon, like screaming at them from their mount, and it's like literally dangerous. It's dangerous for them because it's so bright, and they can they dim it to the very lowest level, um, but it still doesn't help. It's too bright, and so these are just use cases that you know me as a city dweller. Who uses it on the subway? Like didn't even notice that it would be bright in a dark. And I never listen to audiobooks at night because like right. before I go to bed, that sounds, not so st- that sounds so so like <laughs> stressful to listen to an audiobook at night. Um, so this is like my universe of how I use use um, Audible and use audiobooks. And so like none of us picked up on this use case, okay. right? Um, and so no one spoke up and was like, hey. There's these people who might use it in this way, and so we put out this product, not or this change, not thinking about all these people. So I think yeah. the hu- this comes back to, like it seems like I'm a huge um, proponent of user research, but I really am, right? Because yeah. um, if we had a much stronger sense of who the, the user was and really understood their use cases fully, I feel like we could have caught this much earlier. Yeah. And um, what we ended up doing, like once we um, had. We, we made a night mode um, to as a, like a fix. Yeah. And so we, <laughs> to test night mode, we actually like blocked out like rooms and made them like pitch black to like test if they were too bright. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, but it was like, you know, like that, that was so avoidable if we really truly understood the various use cases Different. of the model. And that was, yeah. that was on me, you know, not, not really digging into that and just okay. having a fairly myopic view of who our, who our user is. Right, um, right. And like, yeah, I know about our truckers. I know that that's a, a, a core audience for us, but then like, I didn't like, I didn't really understand it at the depth where I'm like, but long haul and, and they drive it. No, I don't have a yep. car. Like right. I don't even think right. about no, driving it. you in the city. Night, you know? You're right. It's, right. It's bad. And so that's, th- this is the case for like diversity. It's the case yeah. for having a team that like can speak up and say, Hey, like, um, I use this at night. It was really bright. Like maybe you should consider that. Um, and so, like, building that culture and, like, really pushing people to speak up is also important. So, like, understanding your user. And many of those people are going to be working with you, which is yeah. awesome. Um, so he, being able to hear those voices, but as well as the voices out there that maybe you don't have a lot of visibility in
2: on your day-to-day. How did you find out? What Did, like, truckers write in? Yeah, they or? wrote in. Okay. They, <laughs> they,
3: they wrote horrible reviews on the App Store. I see. Uh, and like... It was a really rough week. Okay. It, was a, it was a bad week. And so we were like, oh, my God, we have to fix this. So we made a night mode, which was actually kind of difficult. Um, it, it was, like, just harder than it, would, it sounds like it should be. Sure. Um, but we had to do it ASAP because it was dangerous. Like, I didn't want to cause, like, an accident right. in, the, in, like, the middle of Texas because, like, the, the, app, the app is too bright um so so yeah they wrote in um wow. we had, you know wow. audible is a big company there's a lot of people and when 10 people write in it means 10,000 people are having that problem right 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 um so we we fix it we try to fix it immediately um but it was just like a big like black eye for and i like sure. i was like well, how could i prevent this yeah. um and i like i said i think really understanding those user personas i know like user personas kind of this tool that feels goofy and like Mm -hmm. it's a way you're supposed to think about your customers but like really it's just about understanding how people use your app as much as possible right because then you can avoid you can think about these use cases
2: it's not just an app right it's it's an app on, a, on an apparatus yeah. flying through the middle of, of Man, the night 70 on a truck. miles per hour in <laughs> right. That's, you know, that's a very different design problem. <laughs> really that's that's fascinating. Very,
3: I felt very bad about that. <laughs> but, never again. I have not had a mistake like that since then. I mean, the, there are times, I think the other thing about going back to the, um, the about being Steve Jobs and having like yeah, this gut yeah. call um, is like, as you get older, I think, and more senior, you realize like, Fifty percent of your calls are gonna be wrong,
2: okay. and
3: you don't know which ones. Like the advertising thing, like I know my ads work. Fifty percent of my ads work. I just don't know which ones. Right. Like you, you, you are. You prepare yourself for this, for these scenarios. You don't. I actually don't think you get more accurate as time goes along because sure. products change and people change. Yeah. Um. But I think being prepared for it and doing as much research as possible so right. that you don't have like. The catastrophe that I would—that's being, that's being dramatic. But, no, it, it, but was, yeah. it wasn't great.
2: It was just a mystery. Yeah, and yeah. Pe- and
3: people, you know, like there's the trucker um, use case, but also just like being at night, wanting to go to sleep and listening to a soothing audiobook. Yeah. Um, those people, like, like it's waking up my wife next to me because it's so bright. It's real. And, yeah. and that's real. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> that's,
3: um, so, yeah, that was that was a big one for me.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Um, where can we find you online? And, and if
1: we can.
3: <laughs> um, I have a Twitter handle. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't use it very often, unfortunately. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I keep it pseudo-private. That's, yeah,
1: <laughs> got to do it. But,
3: um, I mean, if, I, I think I still have the emails up for Twitter. So if someone okay. tweeted at me, I would probably you get still it. see it. Yeah, okay, all right, good, <laughs> um, good. But, and, I, and I do read them if I if I get, you know, um, at, but I'm not a very active person on it. Sure, sure. I'm out there. I, it's not hard to find me. Well, people curious, manage yeah. to find me, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't have a very common name, so pretty easy to find. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: you want to find out more about rocketship.fm go to rocketship.fm it's pretty simple right make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes in this series and if you like today's episode tell a friend
0: or two friends or a lot of friends we would love it if you would spread the word and when you can, go to Rocketship.fm and scroll all the way down and leave your email with us. We'll let you know about upcoming episodes, but we'll also get you in on a Slack channel with thousands of other product people and all sorts of other good stuff that we know you'll be interested in.
2: So go to Rocketship.fm and sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoy this content, leave us a quick review um, or tell a friend or share the link on Twitter. Anything helps to get the word out about the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back here in just a couple days.